You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast for all things communication, advertising, and marketing. I'm your host, Ted Lau, award-winning agency owner, podcaster, and family guy. Today on our show, we have Corinna Bork, Director of Communications at Creative Fire. A forward-thinking seasoned communications leader with a proven track record of delivering inclusive B2B communication strategies, Corinna is an ally to Indigenous people and a strong believer in the power of communications to advance reconciliation. Her past experience has been with international companies such as Osenko and C-SPAN, as well as her experience includes running her own consultancy. Corinna lives in North Vancouver with her partner and her two boys. Welcome, Corinna. Hi, Ted. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, yeah. Thank you for joining. We're super happy to have you on the show. So we're always interested in hearing professionals that have had lots of experience in communications and marketing and advertising just to tell folks about your origin story. Maybe you could tell us how you got started in the field and you know um, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So yeah, you've already introduced myself so nicely. So I'm a communications professional, you know, I have over 20 years experience in marketing, branding, corporate communications, uh, mostly for B2B organizations of all sizes across Canada and globally. I did my undergrad in international business and marketing uh, in Germany, which is where I started out as a marketing coordinator for a multinational transportation and logistics company. Um, I made the move to Canada eventually uh, and added a, a master's degree in professional communications to my education. And as you said, today I'm the director of communications for Creative Fire, which is an Indigenous-owned strategy consulting firm and uh, communications agency. So uh, with my team here, we help companies across Canada communicate their commitments uh, and actions around Indigenous reconciliation to clients, to their investors, uh, Indigenous rights holders, and of course, their, their own employees and uh, future talent they might want to attract. But also, I consider myself a feminist, a diversity advocate, uh, an Indigenous ally, and uh, like so many others, so many of us, I'm balancing my career with being a mother, as you said, of two boys, a uh, nature lover, a sport lover, a dog owner, travel enthusiast, avid reader, so life's never boring. No, sounds like you don't have much downtime, so that's good. You're, <laughs> you're keeping busy. So... I'm always interested in hearing, and we have a lot of immigrants that come to uh, Canada and grow their career here. And I wanted to get your insights as to what kind of tips you have in building your career that's outside of your native country. You know, you did not, sounds like you didn't speak English as your first language. You spoke German, I would imagine, because you're from Germany. And, um, you know, why Canada and any tips for those that are coming to make a career in Canada? Yeah, I'll try. I should probably caveat my answer with the fact that I didn't necessarily follow my own advice here. And um, so me moving to Canada was based a bit more on on happenstance than any thoughtful career planning. So, um, and you're correct, like English was not my first uh, language. It was actually, well, it was German. And then I was actually fluent in uh, in French before I actually 
you know, learn English properly. I, I did an internship in Vancouver while I was in university. And that was how, you know, what originally triggered my interest. But in terms of, of things I've learned, and maybe um, equally so things I wish I had known, I, I would say, um, so maybe number one would be language and culture. You know, they're, they're absolutely key, obviously, especially if you're working communications. And, and by that, I don't just mean language in terms of the vocabulary and the grammar and being fluent, but there are so many nuances to communicating well and really using language to its fullest, right? And that that takes time to pick up. So I would say it's really important to take that time to listen, to read, to talk to people, to follow local content creators, whatever works uh, for you. And I think that is true even if you're moving to a country with the same language as your own, especially if you're an English speaker, that is, you know, often the case, right? Number two, I would say, is really staying connected to your home country. And I don't just mean personally, of course, you know, email your parents and FaceTime your friends. But I think if you maintain your professional network at home, even if it's uh, just in the early days, you know, if you stay up to speed on what's happening in your field and in your industry, you're really able to bring some of those unique insights and a very different perspective to your new work environment. And I think that's a huge value add. And thirdly, me, and that's maybe a little bit more personal, but I would just say be patient. You know, when you uproot your life and, and you start fresh in another country, that is a big undertaking, right? And it's not always going to be easy. Like that comes with emotional and often financial um, strains and there are going to be setbacks and frustration. But, I, you know, I think I personally, obviously, I think that the rewards are really worth it and uh, both personally and, and but also for your resume. And, you know, in my case, I got kind of stuck here and, and I never moved back. But I'd say all of this applies even if you're just planning a, a temporary move for a year or a couple of years. So what I heard was basically get immersed in the culture, not just in the language, but really get a sense of what that culture, that region is, right? Like you said, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Ballistic Arts, my, my agency, we do a lot of work all over the United States and whatnot. And every state has a different vibe, a different culture. And yeah. so it sounds like that's really what you found to be important. And then I'm interested in the home, you know, staying connected, not just calling mom and dad and calling home. Why (laughs) is that? Maybe if you could elaborate a little bit more on that as to how that is impactful. Is it because of having a different viewpoint in the world or perspective or, or just you maybe like you miss home cooking? I don't know. (laughs) I'll do my own home cooking if I do. No, I think what I mean, and obviously I come from, you know, as a communicator or marketer, that's of my view or my perspective. But, you know, I, to this day, I make sure I follow a lot of, you know, communications or marketing agencies and a lot of brands in Germany just to see what they're up to, right? So hmm. um, it, it's not always better, but it's just often a different perspective, right? And that is something I can bring. There's always some different ideas, different views, different, you know, whether that's in the narrative and the content type and the visuals and the creative that I can look and go like, you know what, I haven't seen that around here. Let me bring that, you know, uh, to my organization, whether you're working within an organization or in a, in a consulting firm. Okay. And then also I saw that your career, you've bounced, like you said, marketing, branding, corporate comms, <laughs> it's certainly a lot of B2B. Not a lot of folks jump all across the spectrum, right? Like we're called Marketing News Canada, but we cover advertising comms and marketing. And so... How were you able to jump all over and not just stay in one lane? Was it and do it well? Because clearly you have. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe less of a jumping is and more of a progression or an evolution. I would say 
I think the big decision when you start out in this field, comms or marketing or PR, whatever you want to call it, is the, the question is, are you going to be a generalist or a specialist, right? And I had early on decided that I was going to be more of uh, generalist. So I've always done a little bit of everything and I've always liked it that way. And I think that's definitely important at some point in your career, you know, ideally in the earlier years, where you just try out these different things and, and see what fits. For me personally, I, you know, my first two, three jobs were very marketing heavy. That was really what I did. And I just decided once I got sort of a glimpse of more of the corporate communication, and especially of uh, employee communication, employee engagement, that is really sort of my favorite child if I'm allowed to have one. That was really the area that made me tick the most that I really enjoyed. But I think in a lot of organizations, those those terms, even like there's a lot of overlap between comms and marketing anyway. So I think you just have to feel out what resonates with you and, and what gets you excited. And I think on top of the fact that you've been able to dabble in all these kind of areas in the field, you've also worked in large firms, you've worked in medium-sized firms, you've worked for yourself, you've worked for international <laughs> firms. And tell us, you know, what's, I've only worked for myself, I've only run my own show and kind of done that thing. Tell me, what's the same, what's the difference, why, what are the pros and cons, I guess, of each, so that, you know, some of our listeners who maybe in one part of, of the industry might think about, hmm, maybe the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah, it, it always is, for sure. Is <laughs> so, it? Yeah. But, yeah. No, um, I'm joking. But So well, let's start with size, right? So I, hmm. as I said, I started my career in a very large international organization. So we're talking like offices in over 90 countries. We had over 20,000 employees. And then over the years, I've moved to, you know, through some larger mid-sized organizations, as you said, worked for myself a bit, and now on the consulting side, you know, I'm part of a team of about 20 people right now. We're spread across the countries. Personally, I'm glad I did it that way and not the other way around. So, and quite frankly, because I think it's easier to scale down than it is to scale up. So one thing you learn in large organizations is, is sort of what good looks like, you know, hopefully at least in a wide range of function areas, right? It's from HR to finance to sales, marketing. And that's a really important piece that you can bring into a smaller organization where you typically don't have large teams that are dedicated mm -hmm. to these functions, right? And responsibilities are taking on a bit more jointly. So you can really bring the vision of what you've learned to the table here. So that's one thing. Now, on the flip side, uh, it was actually amazing for me to see how quickly you can create change in a small organization, right? So... Of course, that also depends on corporate culture, on the mindset of your leadership team and, you know, how focused an organization might be overall on growth and on innovation. But in general, uh, you know, things tend to move a little quicker in small organizations. And if that is something that is important to you, then that, I think that's absolutely something you need to uh, consider. And then maybe the other sort of biggest jump, I think, for me personally, was really, to, you know, from the client side to agency or consulting firm, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. uh, I think one thing in that scenario that you bring to the table, if you've made that journey, is that you have a really solid understanding of the inner workings of, you know, large organizations and of corporate Canada. And and that, again, is really valuable and something that clients appreciate. Right? And I think it's a little bit harder to get that perspective if you've never actually worked on the client side. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a related thought on the topic of sort of career progression since you've mentioned my Please, you know, yeah, hopping yeah, or jumping, if I can share this. So, so I would recently, <clears throat> I took part in a, in a speed mentoring session for students and, and early career communicators and marketers that was uh, organized through the International Association of Business Communicators, IABC. 
And so one of the mentees who I was matched up with, uh, she shared that she um, had been with the same company, you know, since she graduated. So it had been just about uh, two years and she was really happy where she was. But she was feeling that pressure, right, that it might be time to change because nowadays, two years with the same company, that's almost considered like a long stretch, right? So, mm. Which is kind of funny because I remember when I started out, like any tenure under five years, like anybody in HR would tell you, oh, you know, that's a bit of a dark spot of your resume. And so we chatted about how these things change, right, or the perspective of, on that changes. And as different generation with, with different worldviews enter the workforce and so my only advice to her was to just focus on two things, right? So number one is, you know, as long as you feel like you still have something to give, to learn or to grow in your current role. And number two, if you're getting something in return, and that could be opportunities for growth, it could be a good income and benefits, or it could be just stability, whatever you might need at this point in your career. And then you base your decision on whether it's time to try something new on that and solely on that, right? Rather than you know, what others might be expecting of you. Because I think there's no such thing as the like a singular, perfect career path for anyone. So That's really good advice. I think that's something that I think a lot of folks, especially in the agency world, you know, I'd love to impart in folks that are coming up because you're always, I think, as an employer, I'm always thinking, oh man, two years. I actually just had somebody today had their two-year anniversary. And I did think, mm -hmm. uh-oh, are they going to be <laughs> moving on, right? But mm -hmm. as a, I think as an employer, that's it's really good, or somebody that's managing people to think, okay, how am I providing opportunities for them for growth? What are they getting out of the relationship and making sure that it's not just a one-way street, that we are also giving back as leaders and, and providing those opportunities. So that's really, really insightful. Now, I want to pivot to your work with Creatifier. And, you know, the fact that being someone that is an ally, someone that's, uh, you know, a guest of this land, as we all are, right? Um, are there challenges that you see or are there opportunities? Like, what do you see that you bring to the table? It's a great question. I love it. Um, so all of our team members, they're either Indigenous themselves or, you know, some have Indigenous spouses or Indigenous children and others like myself, as you said, are, are allies. And, um, you know, of course, we spend quite a bit of time thinking about and trying to find our place as non-Indigenous people in this sort of environment. You know, I had a really wonderful experience a few weeks ago. I attended a session on transformative land and territory acknowledgement. And the presenter, who was Indigenous uh, himself, suggested one of his recommendations was to ask non-Indigenous colleagues for help. The ones who've done the work, who've done the learning and have a good understanding, right, of what land acknowledgements are and what they mean and, and all of that. And he suggested that as an alternative to always turning to the indigenous people in your network and ask them to help you further your learning and your education. And I thought that was really insightful. Myself, I hosted a workshop on respectful and meaningful conversations with Indigenous people for uh, corporate communicators a little while ago. And I made it very clear that what I was sharing was just my own personal journey, you know, my personal learning as a settler in Canada, and more importantly, as an ally. And I can't speak for Indigenous people. You know, in, in fact, most Indigenous people would be very hesitant to speak on behalf of other Indigenous people, and in part simply because of the amazing cultural, historical, and spiritual diversity of Indigenous groups in Canada. So, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of Indigenous allies, myself, like many of my colleagues, who've put in the time to learn and to understand, and we can offer to lighten the load a bit and support. And to me, that is absolutely part of being an ally. It requires you to be, you know, very self-aware of 
what you know and especially what you don't know and as you know you need to be willing to always continue to learn to be humble to be very respectful uh, to be open to know and then I think you can play a really important role in helping build those bridges and that's sort of how I view at least a big part of my job today and sort of at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. That's, that's really interesting and, and absolutely a great point on the fact that there are so many nations in Canada that, I, like you said, I don't think any Indigenous person would say this is what all Indigenous people think. And I think that's a really good point. And, you know, when I come across uh, some of my clients who do a lot of work with Indigenous communities, they'll say a lot of things like, um, you know, listening is very important, right? Being mindful of storytelling and understanding what elders are, are saying and, and what they want to share. Have you experienced that in terms of that? You know, in the West, we where a lot of times we're very much go, 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 right? Like get things now and whatnot. <laughs> but I've, I've heard and through our training with Indigenous uh, community builder groups as well, that they told us, you know, sometimes you got to take a step back and really just listen and be there and hear what, you know, the other parties have to say. Oh, a hundred percent. And we say this, you know, we work on a, on a range of communication and engagement projects with clients. And we often sort of leave behind some, you know, cultural guidance or tips and tricks and do's and don'ts and guidelines and all of those things. And that is for sure is a big part of it. And it's listening, you know, listening to and, and leaving the space and the time to let someone tell their story, let them finish their thought, let them, you know, and, and if, if you're, you know, maybe Western culture is a little bit more from point A to point B, like in a straight line. And if, mm -hmm, if, mm -hmm. if thoughts meander a bit more of, if, you know, somebody takes you on a journey with their story to really be willing to let that happen, I think that is a, that is a huge part of it. We, you know, in fact, there's a lot of learning, I think, as, as non-Indigenous cultures that we can take from that and that can actually make us a lot better listeners and, and better communicators, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, so I want to kind of move to a conversation around the future. You know, what you see with comms in the future. We've been hearing a lot, obviously, about chat GPT, but there's all sorts of different programs out there like copy.ai and Jasper, et cetera. And, and there's a boatload of them. Now, you know, I've played around. I'm sure you have too, uh, and our listeners probably have as well with chat GPT. I've, I actually did a talk earlier this year to Small Business BC around the, the top five things that you should be looking forward to in digital marketing in 2023. And I used ChatGPT to come up with the project outline, the, the speak outline, <laughs> right? Speaking outline. And that's, you know, kind of unique and it was kind of, you know, fun. But I noticed that it was not dissimilar to me 
having an intern do that particular task, you know, meaning like it's, it's not so in depth that it is something that I'm going to be using, at least right now. Uh, to replace certain folks, et cetera, et cetera. And, and just, you know, agency of one and just doing all this, this work. So I don't know if you've experienced it, but what is your insight around, or I guess, feedback that you've seen so far around AI? How do you see the future progressing with this? Yeah, I, th- I think we all agree that AI will have a huge impact, right, on how we do marketing and communications going forward. And that's, in fact, that's already happening, as you just told your your story, right? Um, and, and you're right, the most obvious area and the one that's absolutely peaking interest at the moment is like automation of uh, content creation, right, through like chat yeah. GPT and all these other tools. So. You know, that's whether that's copywriting for websites or emails, blogs, articles, press releases, video scripts, speeches, like you name it. Mm. Uh, but there's also content distribution, right? So AI tools make it so easy to respond like, quickly to customer inquiries and feedback. And then there's the whole data analysis and measurement. So, if, you know, if you can analyze like huge amounts of data from various sources, including social media, you get like all these great insights into customer preferences and behaviors. And you can use all of that for communication strategies and Engagement. And, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, obviously, but for now, I see AI as something that communicators and marketers should absolutely add to their toolkits, right? It's, I agree with you, it's not a replacement, but you need to know what's out there. You need to know, you need to learn how it works and you need to figure out how you can use it to help you with your job. And it's, it's not something you can fight or dig your heels in and <laughs> say it's not going to go anywhere. So that's my view. Um, you know, especially on those copywriting content creation pieces, you know, one thought or, or a word of caution that I like to share is that, you know, and it's because we talk about it quite a bit at Creative Fire is that just an awareness that AI driven tools are, are still quite biased, right? Mm, so mm-hmm. AI is only as good as the data that it's being fed and data on say indigenous or other underrepresented or marginalized groups is, is just not at the level it needs to be. Because today's internet, which is the source of AI data is not representative of the entire population. And, and even when people are represented, it, it may not be accurate because of, you know, stereotypes, colonialism, racism. So that's something to be really mindful of when using AI tools, um, because I think there's a real risk that we're going to propagate like the very narrative that we're actually trying to change, especially here in Canada. Mm-hmm. So that would be my uh, word of caution to add to that. That's great. Do you think that there's a tool right now that your team is using or is it more just uh, you're in exploratory phase? Oh, exploratory for sure. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody in comms who hasn't played around with ChatGPT or, you know, beautiful.ai or any of mm-hmm, those, mm-hmm. you know, Dally, different tools. Yeah. But it's, yeah, we're dallying. And that's, I think that's important to do, right? You can't close your eyes. Like you need to figure out, is there a place for it in your organization? Can it actually help? But I love your uh, intern analogy. No offense to interns, but that is, you know, you get a good first crack at something maybe. But then there is, is, is another element that... Uh, I have not seen that, you know, created through AI tools yet. Not saying it won't happen. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I always look at it as that, like, as much as you've been in business, probably not quite as long as me, but, you know, some time. And, you know, we've been around the block. And I think certain things stay the same, regardless of all the tools that we've seen and received and used, et cetera. So, What's your insight on that? And, you know, for those of us who especially are newer to the field might think that, man, things change all the time, or even those have been a little bit more seasoned in the field that, you know, think, how are we going to 
keep up with all this technology and all this change. But I think fundamentally, comms and marketing and, and advertising, there's certain things that are universally true that will stay true regardless of the technology shifts. So what's your thought on that? Well, there are a few things that I personally feel very strongly about. So I might be a little bit biased here um, in terms of I hope that they won't change. So in one kind of relates to what we just talked about, and that's good writing. You know, I think the AI tools that we just talked about, they, they can maybe get us about 75% there. But I think there's still an element of humanity and of personality, of just a gut feel of, of soul, really, of heart um, that is, you know, that you need for really impactful copywriting and I have not seen that replicated yet. So I think good writing, having that sort of net for good and creative copywriting is something that will always be really important. And I, you know, I think that'll always require a human element and a certain degree of talent and education to bring it to the table. And maybe related to that is is really like a, a truly understanding your audience. What makes them tick? What matters to them? What challenges are they facing and what is going to really resonate with them? And, and that's true for any audience group, right? Whether you're talking to clients, investors, employees, community members, and you can only understand that if, you, if you're asking all the tough questions, right? If you're really you know, developing that understanding, I think that's always going to matter uh, in any you know, communications or marketing related role, internal or external. Um, so that's the second one. And maybe a third would be around, you know, like taking action based on whatever metrics you have gathered, right? So AI can really help you gather data and gather metrics, but looking at that data and coming up with new ideas and approaches to do things better or to reach new goals, that's always going to be uh, important. It's going to be important to your boss, but hopefully it's also important to you to really come up, you know, not just stop at measuring, but to actually sort of then adjusting and, and tweaking. And and I don't just mean a, you know, a landing page or a, uh, an email copy, you know, subject line. I don't mean that uh, A-B testing, but really sort of changing course when needed or adjusting things in, in, in larger campaigns and, and initiatives. So I'm going to ask you a question that I didn't have in this prescribed set of questions. But you had mentioned that, you know, you're, well, you've done obviously very well in your career and you got two young boys and, you know, it's a fully remote community of, of, of clients that you have, but you, you have to travel, et cetera, et cetera. How do you, I don't know if the word finding balance is the right word, but how do you make it all work for you? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think we've all struggled with that maybe, especially over the last three years, you know, this whole like finding balance with work from home or now hybrid work environments. I think that's a challenge a lot of us uh, face. And I've always believe that you can make time for whatever is important to you, right? So way back when I started my master's, I was actually pregnant with my second son. And so I knew I would have to start while I was on med leave with a newborn. And I was asking, I was talking to a friend of mine and I said, I don't know if I can handle this. This is like, seems a lot. And he just said like, you know what, if you want something done, you ask a busy person. <laughs> so, and that's very much true. Right. But at, at the end of the day, it, it actually was fine. And it was fine because you have to have a clear understanding of your priorities and you just have to make time for those things. Right. So whether that is your you know, 20 minute yoga session in the morning or, you know, reading a book after the kids are in bed or whatever. What are those small moments that you know, and only you will know this, that you need them to make you, to give you that balance and to ground you, whether it's time with your partner or time alone. 
you know, whatever it is with friends, you know, taking the dog for a walk, whatever those little things that you know you need that make you feel good and and in balance, those you have to find and you have to make time for. And you always can. There's always 20 minutes in the day. I, I strongly believe that half an hour, an hour that we can all find in our day. And it's just prioritization. What is your life hack to do this? Sounds like you have, you said 20 minutes, 30 minutes an hour. What do you do? You listen to podcasts, (laughs) what do you do? um, Yeah, no. You know what? My biggest thing is actually exercise. Like if I don't move and that can be, could mean anything from jumping on the Peloton or going for a run or going for a hike or going, you know, taking the day and go skiing, whatever it is. I know for me that is critical. And then the rest kind of falls into that's that is sort of the foundation. I think we all have a foundation of that we can build on and you need to make sure that you really nurture that foundation. And for for me that is movement in addition to time with my, you know, my loved ones, of course. But that's on a, on a in a selfish, you know, realm that it's my foundation. But again, that can be different for anyone. Right? That's great. Okay, well, so I'm going to move to our rapid fire round and ask you a little bit about uh, who Krina is and so that we get to know you a little bit. So let me know if you're ready. I'm ready. What music are you streaming right now? Whatever my latest Spotify playlist is or the, the latest playlist that Spotify recommends to me is usually what I'm listening to. So that can be anything. It's a huge range. Anything other than country, I will say. That is the only oh, no thing country. I will not listen so to. So you'll no listen country. to like hip hop, you'll sure. listen to Beyonce, listen to you'll listen pop, to R&B, yeah, pop. You know, right. I'm a, I, I'm a thing, you know, back, you know, just because of my age, I like some good 80s, uh, sorry, not 80s, actually good 90s music or the early 2000s. You know, anything but country would be my Any Any German music? Answer. Or like, are you a, a big David Hasselhoff yeah. fan because you're oh, German? God. <laughs> no, <laughs> like that, not at all. No, there's some good German artists though. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah? some of them, you know, perform in German, others in English, but there's some good music out there. Nice. Okay. So Peloton or hiking the grouse grind? Oh, Peloton. What is the first thing that you marketed? Not very exciting. I think it was a, a new air freight service for, in my first job, writing the advertising copy for that. Oh, wow. <laughs> Are you a physical book or an audiobook person? A Kindle. How's that in between? Kindle. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kindle so is like my you, you'll read now. rather than listen. Like you're still using yeah. your eyes. Yeah, as, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Favorite place in the world to go on a holiday with your family? I haven't been everywhere, but for now, I would say we went to Kauai, one of the Hawaiian islands in November. And I would, I have to say that was uh, definitely one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. Ice cream or bacon? (laughs) Vegetarian. So I'll go with ice cream. (laughs) Favorite vegetarian restaurant that you've been to? God, oh, we just went, uh, there's a great place in in Vancouver, uh, Meat, M-E-E-T. Amazing. Oh yeah, Two meet locations. in Gastown. Yeah, meet in Gastown, Gastown and, meet and on, on Main Street. Exactly, both. Yeah, Amazing. I'm plant based, so I've gone there a few times. It's good food. What was your last impulse buy? It's probably some clothes, I would guess. Oh, so you're not really sure? Yeah, no, I don't. What fact might surprise your coworkers who have never met you in real life? Oh, so I've met most of them by now. Oh, you have? Um, okay. Yeah. I would say the one thing, you know, if you ask me like one thing people just don't know about me, I was actually a flight attendant for a year. 
took a break from really? marketing and communications, and I worked as a flight attendant for a Canadian charter airline called Canada 3000 that went bankrupt, I think, right after 9-11. So. I remember that airline. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then what was your... Did, actually, do you serve snacks on those things, or is it just yeah, like... Yeah, you still did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Absolutely. So you said you took a break between your gigs in, in comms, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I just, it was a bit of a, you know, I was probably in like four years, three, four years into my career and just had uh-huh. a bit of a, like, I don't know if this is what I want to do. And it was literally seeing an ad in the paper one day and uh, being, you know, bilingual or, you know, speaking three languages at the time was, was helpful. So uh, yeah, I just, it was always meant to be just a short term gig. And that's what I did. Just clear my head a little bit and have some fun while doing that. Was it fun? It was fun. It was super hard work physically. Really, it's a massively demanding job. I will say, uh, I have a lot of respect for flight attendants. Very cool. Very cool. Where have you traveled as a flight attendant? Like uh, it was mostly we did some Europe. I did a lot of bouncing back and forth between Vancouver and and Europe. So Germany, you know, Spain, France, UK. Oh wow, that would um, be taxing because those are long flights. Yeah, the long flights and it's very quick turnarounds, right? You basically just sleep for a few hours and you're back. Uh, you're on your way back. Uh, the more fun parts was probably the long distance halts, you know, to Australia, and New Zealand via Hawaii. So those were fun. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Where would you go if you had all the money and time in the world? On our sort of top three, I would say, um, is um, India, China, and Thailand, Bali, sort of that area would be sort of my next group of uh of trips what book are you reading right now i'm reading uh alan rickman's um diaries the actor okay Mm. very nice very nice okay is there anything that um before we close off that you want to share with our audience about you know maybe career comms whatever it might be (laughs) i don't think nothing else that i haven't talked about just uh Thank you so much for uh, having me. That, that was, uh, that's been fun. Really enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you, Corinna, for your time. And uh, I had a lot of fun as well. And learning about your being a flight attendant, that's something that, uh, you know, you don't hear about. On, <laughs> that's what you I don't think I've had. I don't think I've had a guest. <laughs> well, we did have C- Colonel Chris Hadfield. So technically he was not quite a flight attendant, but he, you know, he flew. But uh, I don't think we've had a flight attendant on the show. So that's our that's past a whole flight lot, attendant. A whole lot cooler than <laughs> anything I could have uh, shared today. So, But uh, I mean, you know, great stuff. Thank you for your time. And uh, everybody, uh, thank you for your time and to listening to another great episode of Marketing News Canada. I'm your host, Ted Lau, and this was Corinna Bork. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live 
live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 